Well, good morning. It's good to, to be with you. I love this fall weather, don't you? It gives me an excuse to wear long sleeve shirts and sweaters and uh, outdoor, outdoor activities I love, although there's one I, I really have never liked, didn't like it as a kid, don't like it now. And I had a chance to experience that about a year ago. To be exact, about 379 days ago, I got to experience that again. Uh, Elizabeth was in town, our daughter, and so after church, the family said, we have a great idea. And what you got to know is a great idea for me after the second service is to be entering REM sleep before the 5.30 service. And so they had this great idea that we enter into a corn maze. I do not like corn mazes. I had an experience with it when I was a kid. And I still don't like it. And you know where this is going. So I, I said, yeah, let's go. I entered the corn maze at 2.01 that day. I remember looking at my phone. And I had these visions of, if you watch Amazing Race, you see sometimes these tasks can go well into the night. I thought that we were never going to get out of this place. And I was going to need that search helicopter with that light that goes in and all that. So, but I got in, thought I was making great progress, minutes, five minutes, only to realize Hey, I've seen that before. I've seen that before. And this just repeated over and over again. And the kids saw the frustration on my face. And they said, Dad, come on. Hang in there with us. Don't fade. Don't fade. Isn't this fun? And I, yeah, I was like, yeah, this is fun. No, this is frustrating. And everything that I tried just wasn't working. But I turned the corner. We're deep in the maze. We're not out of it. I turned the corner and there's a sign that says, if you'd like to exit the maze at this point, follow the signs out to the parking lot. So I followed the signs out to the parking lot while the family, I know you're, oh, the family went through and I took a nap in the car. <laughs> it was the worst day. Everything that I tried, no matter what I tried, I felt like I was getting nowhere. I felt stuck. I was getting frustrated, and everything I tried was impacting me. And what I sensed was it was impacting my family around me. And it's kind of like the monster that we're going to talk about today as we continue in this series called Monsters. And we've been real clear at the start of each of these messages to say, as we kind of look at these monsters, uh, shame and abuse, to say right up front, we don't think that 30 minutes together is going to provide a solution in a fix. This isn't going to be like a microwave solution to life's issues. What we're talking about are crockpot issues. It's going to take some time. It's going to take hard work on your part, but what you're gonna find as you engage with this, just like when you were a kid, monsters lose their power when you bring them out into the light. And God is light and he can bring freedom to these issues for you. As we get started, I'd like to ask the ushers to come down with Bibles. If you do not have a Bible in your hand, we would love for you to have one. Go home with it if you don't have one, or just simply put it back on the table on your way out. Well, today we're going to talk about depression. Uh, in ancient writings, some of the earliest references to the word that we call depression, the word they used was melancholia, which literally means black bile. They felt that people who were depressed had an excess of black 
bile in them. Some have described depression as feeling like you are wearing a wet blanket. Others have said it's like walking on glass. With every step of your existence, it's just grinding the grief, shards of grief into your soul. Depression is just something that's so heavy. It's something that we don't ask for. None of us goes to the foot of our bed and say, Dear Lord, if it is your will, will you please give me a bout of depression? No, we, we don't do that. I mean, this depression is it's dark, it's heavy, it's overwhelming. And we end up not talking about it. But yet we all have an opinion. We all have something that we're thinking or we want to say. There are some that think, hey, you're just lazy and weak. Why don't you suck it up like everybody else and you'll just snap out of this thing? Some think, hey, don't even try talking to somebody. That's just like whining to somebody else. But then you've got the sufferer who's feeling this and they're like, I can't talk about this. They already think that I'm lazy. Now they think I'm, they're going to think that I'm crazy. And that they've told me that it's a faith issue. I should just read my Bible more. I should just pray more. I'm even starting to doubt whether I am a Christian. Because they're implying that real Christ followers do not get depressed. And so this, this is a complicated issue. It is not as black and white as we may think. We need to talk about this issue together. Because research has said one in five of us will have a significant bout with depression. One in five. The World Health Organization has said that depression is the second common cause to disability. Second to cardiovascular disease. But depression is supposed to overtake it and become number one cause of disability in the next 10 years. And depression is no respecter of age, race, religion, education. Some of the world's leading musicians, politicians, theologians, pastors, scientists have had bouts of depression. I don't put myself in the league of great pastors, but this, you're looking at somebody who has experienced depression twice in their life. Rob, that was before you became a Christ follower, right? No. As a Christ follower, I got depressed. Yeah, but not as a pastor. One of the times it was as a pastor, and I can tell you that depression has this way of impacting the person and the family and the friends and the coworkers who are trying to help. We need to talk about this issue. It is real. Though we don't see the term depressed or depression in the Bible, we see its presence. There are many biblical characters who walk that lonely path of depression. I just want to throw out a few here. Listen to some of their words. David, who was dealing with unconfessed sin, said this, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. My loved ones and friends, they stay away, fearing my disease. Even my own family stands at a distance. Then there's Job, who had lots of loss, relational, financial, and personal loss. He gets to the point where he says, Let the day of my birth be erased, the night that I was conceived. 
Let that day be turned into darkness. Let it be lost, even the God on high, and let no light shine on it. Let the darkness and utter gloom claim the day for its own. Let a black cloud overshadow it and let the darkness terrify it. Elijah, who just after a great victory in the name of God, his life gets threatened and he flees. He gets to the point, he sits under a tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. Here's what we need to hear as we begin this discussion. It is okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, and we need to hear that. You see, life can press in on our hearts, and it will have an impact. It can impact us physically, socially, spiritually. And last week, I had a chance to spend some time with a good friend, Dan Blazer, who attends LifePoint. And he is a researcher, an author, a psychiatrist, a professor, and he is a fellow Christ follower. And I had a chance to just listen to him, his wise words around the complexities of depression. And he had some helpful words and encouraging words for not only the one that is depressed, but also to the people that are around the one suffering. And so I, I want you to check out my time with him on the video screen. Rob, I'm often asked the question of whether someone is just having a down day or whether they really are, quote, clinically depressed, a term we would often use as major depression. And I think that even though there's a, a blurry middle ground, I think there's a, some very clear distinctions that can be made. Uh, first, a severe depression is one that comes on in uh, days and weeks, not months and years. And so it has a relatively sudden onset and it persists. It's not something where you have a down day and then you feel pretty good the next day and you have another down day. It, you go down and you stay down. The family and the individual realize this is not me. That something's happened to me that's different. Uh, I've never felt like this before. I've never felt so bad before. Or if they've had depression in the past, they might say, I'm right back where I was 10 years ago or five years ago, and I feel really bad. So that's one of the first indications. The second indication, from my perspective, is that they just lose interest in everything that uh, they might have had interest in in the past. I'll often ask the question, if somebody brought you a million dollars, what would you feel? And they would often say, oh, it would be nice, but I don't think it would change the way I feel at all. There are other things that go along with severe depression, uh, problems with sleep. Usually the individual can go to sleep without any difficulty, but is waking up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, cannot get back to sleep, feels tired most of the day. They have difficulty concentrating. Uh, sometimes they may be agitated. Sometimes they just literally sit in a chair and hardly move at all. Uh, and they will often, uh, if they don't have suicidal thoughts, specifically, they'll often say, I just don't see the reason for going on. I'm very concerned about the fact that we live in a society where we basically say uh, to everyone around us uh, in a superficial way, be happy. Everything is going to work out fine. Uh, don't talk about your problems because nobody really wants to hear your problems. Uh, 
and therefore we may miss the complexity of people who really dip low in their mood. Sometimes people have a very good reason for being down, and yet we don't want to hear what that reason is. Uh, two examples in Scripture, I think, uh, give us uh, some insight into this. One, uh, one of my favorite psalms, because I think it's a psychiatrist psalm, is a Psalm 31, where David is really in the depths. I mean, you cannot imagine anybody being much more depressed than he expresses in the first portion of that psalm. Yet he ends up saying, and yet I trust the Lord and I, I hope to go forward. Another example uh, is the uh, Lamentations. Uh, the writer there is looking over the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, he is feeling for all of the people who have been displaced, persecuted, etc. And he is feeling for himself and the loss that he has that he sees occurring to the city that he loved, the destruction of the temple, etc. And so I think that we need to listen carefully to the story of the people who are depressed and not assume this is just an illness or just an aberration of their mood and that they have no reason to be that way. Sometimes I think psychiatrists believe, well, this is a biological problem, and therefore somebody is really down. Let's give them a medication. Let's get them out of the office and get on to the next patient. I think that's a great disservice to individuals. I think we need to recognize that sometimes people get down for very real reasons. If we went into Syria, into Iraq right now, and we saw some of the persecution that's occurring, if we really consider the types of trauma and fear and violence that's occurring in those settings, and we try to imagine what it would be like to live in that setting and yet try to keep a happy mood, I think we're really deceiving ourselves. There's a lot more said in the Psalms about grieving, about mourning, about lamentation, than there are is actually about joy and happiness. And I think we need to be very realistic about the fact that we have real pain and we have real suffering in our society, both here in the United States and throughout the world. And if we blunt that out, I think we're doing a disservice to the messages that God is sending us. It is very difficult for family members, especially family members who've never experienced depression, uh, to work with someone who is severely depressed. I think that the pain that depression brings on an individual, and it's a very severe pain, uh, not a physical pain, but an emotional pain that I think most people would see as just being totally unknown. They would not understand it at all. So I think one of the first things I encourage families to think about in a situation like this is simply that they can't understand how severely this individual feels. And therefore, some of their usual uh, instructions to them or encouragement to them, you know, get out of it, you know, come on, let's go to a ball game, uh, let's go to church, uh, let's go to a party, uh, let's go play ball. It's very difficult for them to uh, recognize that the individual has absolutely no interest in doing this and just can't get out of it. So recognizing that this is a severe situation 
and not one where just some encouragement or sort of a kick in the pants will get the person out the door is going to help. I think in addition, uh, families need to recognize that this is where a, a team needs to, to be in place. Families alone can't deal with this. Uh, I think professional help is certainly in order. That's not the only answer. I think uh, really call on one's church community. Uh, I've written about this. I think it's extremely important for uh, individuals who are in a faith community to really work with individuals who are depressed. In other words, it takes, a, it takes a large family to deal with the depressed. So family members should not try to bear this alone. And a final thought uh, is that uh, depression comes with a real risk, and that risk is suicide. It doesn't happen most of the time, but it is uh, potentially a fatal illness. And so I always will talk with family members about the potential for suicide. Uh, I'll say, you know, there's no way we really can predict it. But I often say, look at this like you would in preventing a heart attack. Uh, we can't say on any given day whether John Smith is going to have a heart attack or not. But we know that there are things we can do to reduce the risk of a heart attack. Things such as lowering cholesterol, keeping one's blood pressure down, um, exercising, and we could go on through a, a significant list, and not being alone. The same thing is true with depression. Uh, I said reduce the risk and get pills out of the house that the person may overdose with, maybe have someone else uh, give medications to the individual, get the guns out of the house, get knives out of the house. If it's severe depression, don't let the person drive alone. Uh, if the person is living alone, often older men who have some of the highest likelihood of being depressed uh, will be living alone. They'll be widowed, and having someone checking in on them daily uh, can be extremely helpful in a situation like this. So I think helping them feel that there are things they can do, but also relieving them of feeling they have the responsibility because we, none of us can prevent suicide absolutely. When someone is just severely depressed, um, they, they see no future. They absolutely see no future. And one of the first things I will tell them is that where there's depression, there's hope. And I say it's almost inevitably if someone falls into a severe depression, given time, you will come out of this depression. Now, we don't know exactly when that will occur. We don't know exactly how it will occur, but it will occur. You will come out of this depression. I tell them, you know, it's important for you to keep active. I said, get out and go to church. You're going to feel lousy the whole time. You're not going to want to interact with anybody, but do it. Just get out and do it. And so keeping active, I think, is important. Exercise can be very important. You may feel lousy when you start exercising, and you may feel lousy at the end of the exercise, and you may feel lousy the entire time that you are exercising. But it's important to get out and do something. I then also will say it's very important for you to keep in whatever routine you possibly can maintain. They may not be able to work in the midst of a severe depression, but if they're not able to work, it's important for them to at least uh, have a routine that they go through during the day. Uh, and uh, if they're having difficulty sleeping at night, have a routine, and we don't want, can't go into detail here about what that routine might be, but a way to get through the night. In other words, if you can't sleep, get up, 
some things you might do, then maybe go back and try it again. Don't just lay in bed tossing and turning. So a lot of behavioral types of things. Finally, I think I say, you know, you may feel like your prayers are not getting any higher than the roof and that it does no good to pray or read scripture. I say, but you keep doing it. You do it even more so. Uh, you don't know when a scripture, you don't know when God is actually going to speak to you. And so you just have to keep knocking at that door. And you do that by scripture, you do that by prayer, you do that by praying with others. I said many times it will seem as if it's not going anywhere at all, but it's extremely important to keep that going nevertheless. And it takes an act of will allowing other persons in, allowing other person to work with them, even when they just have absolutely no motivation to do anything, then that is a sign of hope also. Rather than just giving up and saying, I'm through, I'm finished, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything. They're saying, I feel terrible. You cannot imagine how bad I feel. Uh, nothing you say right now is helping me at all. But I'm going to trust you and I'm going to try to work with you and do what you ask me to do. And I hear you when you say there's hope. I don't feel it. When you have that kind of cooperation, uh, that's very positive, And I think that individual has a lot better chance of recovering. Such wise words coming from so much experience. And as one who's been depressed, his words are helpful and they are hopeful at the same time. Depression is complex. Could the cause of your depression be physical? Sure. Are you going to have to take medicine short-term, long-term? Perhaps. Could the depression be caused from something spiritual like unconfessed sin, fear, loss? Yes. Could the physical impact the spiritual and vice versa? You betcha. But here's the thing. No matter what the cause, as a Christ follower, there should be a spiritual component to your recovery. Your faith can play a leading role in getting better. And that's what I want to talk to you in the few remaining moments that we have together is that angle. Did you catch what Dan said? He said, I tell people when they come in, you can get through this. You can get to the other side. Because it's like a pillow, a foam pillow. As, as you press in on a foam pillow with pressure and you let go, it will rebound and take its normal shape. Well, God designed our hearts that way as well. We've got life's pressures that come in and they will impact us. And when the, those pressures are relieved, it will go back. Our heart will go back to its shape. But like a, a foam pillow, and I'm moving and I've put some stuff on some cushions on a couch. If you put them there for too long, what happens? They stay depressed. That's what can happen to a human heart. When it's under living in the pressure of the life situations day after day after day, you can enter into a state of depression. But as Dan said, you can get to the other side. But he also said, it will take an act of will to let others in. 
I hope you, you caught that. And that's where it's tough for somebody who's depressed because being depressed sucks you into this world where it's all about you, where all you can think of is yourself and to protect yourself because you're not feeling okay, you push people away. And that is not a road to recovery at all. There's a different plan that God has. And you need to hear this. It is okay not to be okay, but it is not okay to stay that way. There is suffering in this world that will get us down, that will impact us. It will make us not okay, but that's not the end of the story. The God of light does not want to leave us in darkness. And you can get to the other side, but you've got to be willing to step into getting better. That's the act of will that Dan was talking. You've got to want to go there, even, when, even though you don't feel like it. Elijah didn't feel like it. You can read his backstory in 1 Kings 18. But he just come off of this great victory in the name of God. And then his life is threatened, so he's scared. He flees. There's others around him as, as he's fleeing. But at some point, he says, stay here. And he journeys all by himself for a day, we read. For a day, he goes by himself and gets to that point, gets under a bush and says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Elijah had lost hope at this point. And then perhaps that's what you feel. Maybe you, don't, you, you feel discouraged. There's no way you can trust something you cannot see or you cannot feel and you feel downright stuck. But there's something else that Dan said that I loved. He said, where there is depression, there is what? Hope. Why? How could that be? Where there's depression, there's how? You see, depression makes you perceive your world apart from God. Depression makes you perceive your, your thinking, your acting apart from God, apart from the help from others. And all of a sudden, any solution, any hope is limited by you, the one who is suffering. And that's where Elijah was, right there. And we read, God came right before us. He put food there for Elijah because he wasn't eating. And then the angel of the Lord brings the food and speaks to Elijah saying, get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. You see, there is hope because there is a God who knows what you need. He knew what Elijah needed and he wants to provide for that in your life. Elijah was lonely, he was tired, he was angry, he wasn't eating. And God steps in and he's at work and he's providing for Elijah's physical needs. And though Elijah felt like he didn't want to do anything, he accepted it. He ate and he got strength. And that is something we need to pay attention to because that little accepting action took a shift in focus for Elijah. A focus away from self and a focus on God. For Elijah, it was a refocus. 
And maybe for some of you, it's a refocus. Elijah is a prophet. He's a spokesman for God. He has a relationship. And he had to be reminded that God is the one who created all this. You've got to trust him. He can help. And I don't know where you are in your faith journey, whether you're a Christ follower or not. But as a Christian, we are not promised a disease-free, a struggle-free, a pain-free life. But what we are promised is a savior, a comforter, a friend who will see us through it. As a Christian, the Bible says that you have the spirit of God in you. This was a turning point for me to realize that the God of this universe is in me and working in me like like he is for Elijah here to do what is needed to get me healthy and get me on the other side. Maybe as a Christian, you've got to be reminded about that. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you are going at it alone and you don't have to. Come talk to us. That's why down front, what does it mean to even have a relationship with Christ? What's that about? Let us tell you about this mighty Savior of somebody who wants to be Lord of your life even now during this black, dark, heavy time. Elijah was strengthened for this, this journey. We read that he spent a night in a cave and the Lord had instructed him. He said, listen, I want you to stay in this cave until you hear my voice. When you hear it, come on out. Remember, Elijah's focused on God. He's so focused enough that when the mighty wind, which we read, tore up the mountains, he knew enough from this time with God that God's presence wasn't in that. An earthquake came and Elijah knew God's presence is not there. A fire came. He also knew that God was not there. Then we read, after the fire, there was a second, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Your journey to recovery is going to involve many different twists and turns and choices on your part. And the same for those that are around people who are depressed, the same holds true for you. And you've got to stay focused on God enough to know his voice so that as he's leading you, you can follow him because his spirit will lead you to the right Christian counselor, to the right physician, to the right pastor, to the right friend who's gonna bring healing and get you in a place where you start to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. But you have to be willing to do the hard work. And I think it begins with a question that God asked Elijah. And I remember my own journey. I kind of had to go through this. If you put back up the slide of uh, the verse we just read, God asks, what are you doing here, Elijah? How did you get here? What's going on? You can read Elijah's response. He's real honest with God. Some raw emotion. He gets that all out. But then he listens to God and he obeys God's instruction. And once again, that took a shift. A shift that you and I need to do as well. A shift to move from relieve to reveal. 
You see, if you're depressed, you're going, God, get me out of this. I don't want this anymore. If you're the one around a person, Lord, just make them better. Turn it and say, God, what can I learn in this? How can you reveal yourself in the middle of this suffering? Because he can use this painful experience to develop in you the very nature and characteristic of Jesus Christ, which is what our existence is supposed to be about anyway. James and Paul wrote about persecution and suffering to, to Christians who are uh, being persecuted. And you may think, well, why look at their words? Because I'm not being persecuted. But if you are dealing with depression as the one suffering or the one around, depression is a form of suffering. So let's listen to Paul's words. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. He's not saying be a lover of pain, just wish for bad things to happen. No, he's saying this can be spiritually glorifying to God and enriching and a growth opportunity for you as you endure because endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. You see, as our character deepens and, and as we get tested character, all of a sudden it gives us hope that God will see us through. And this hope, we read, will not lead to disappointment. It's a hope that does not disappoint because we serve a God who doesn't lie and he fulfills his promises. No matter what the cause of your depression may be, biological, spiritual, or a, a, a yarn's nest of all of that together, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ will help you recognize the voice of the one who wants to lead you through this season, discovering new ways to cope and a new hope for the future. You may think, oh, I got nothing in me. I'm empty. You know what? God knows how to make beautiful things out of nothing. Out of dust, we have read. And you may feel lost, but get this, the God of this universe knows exactly where you are, what you need for the road. And he wants to lead you through that. I pray that you let him to begin to bring light into this dark place.